Blog Talk Radio. Once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Bureau Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe of clifflow.com in scenic, scenic, New Jersey. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman of Conjurman Consulting in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by a special guest, Doc Murphy. Of, Doc Mur- Root Doc Mur- uh, of RootDocMurphy.com in the Twin Cities of Minnesota in uh, Paganistan, bringing us today's topic of Southern Voodoo and Northern Climes. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection. Using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo conjure or root work, as divine and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Ms. Cat. Hi, nice to hear your voice, Mr. Lowe. How are things in lovely New Jersey these days? A little chilly, but otherwise well. Um, Indeed, more love clients from last week, but this time I was a little bit too honest. I told her that bringing her boyfriend back would be difficult, and she walked away. I shouldn't be so honest, should I? Oh, you Mm. should. You should. There's a there's a thing there. Uh, sometimes it takes a client three readers to hear the same bad news, and then they'll give up. And you may be reader number one. You might have been reader number two. Um, what happens? This is a serious question, by the way. The ethics are you should say yes. This isn't going to work. Break it to them gently. It's like the doctor, you know, who comes out of surgery and says, "Well, you know, you're you're." Uh, cousin is uh, in in very grave condition and we're we're hoping for the best right <laughs> they don't just write come out and say it's dead um mm-hmm. so but you do that and then what happens is they go to another reader now what happens is if the other reader says i shouldn't have been so honest and tells them oh no you have a chance a, they never come back to you because you were the reader who told them a wrong thing and the other reader told them the right thing, that it'll work. And then they spend another $12,000 on readings and root work, which never goes anywhere, and then they end up hating root workers and going to the complaint board and publishing that all root workers are phonies. So better to be that honest root worker, even if you're number one, number two, or number three. But what I always do, if I'm number one, I say, have you seen anyone else about this? I actually ask it. You have a, yeah. I go, no, you're the first person I've consulted. Well, I'm getting pretty bad cards, and I'm I'm looking. It's not looking very good. I want you to get a second opinion. And then I just hope and pray that the second opinion will be ethical and see the same thing and tell the same thing. If not, maybe I was wrong. You might not be right always. But what I usually do is I have a list, and it's called the members of AIR. 
and the members of AIR, I can say, I'll recommend you to so-and-so because I know they'll be honest. Sorry, that was a whole little side trip we just went down. Um, and, of course, you may be wrong. That's another thing. You can say, you know, I'm reluctant to have you uh, finish this relationship and close it off just because I said so. Why don't you set yourself a date and do prayers and spell work up until that date and come, come back to me and see where you're at? You know, in other words, you want to you want to ease them through their life transitions. I mean, I've had ones who say, when I go, oh, God, if I'm going to have to say something terrible about this man. And, and I go, you know, I'm just getting kind of bad cards about him here. And I describe the cards. And the woman says, oh, yeah, he beat me up last week. But you see, she comes to me cold. She won't tell me that. She's expecting me to say it. And when I say it, it turns out, hey, I got a hit. I was right after all. So... Hope that was of use to you, Clifford. Very much, very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> sure. I like I said, there's 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 a whole lot of ways to be a root worker. There's a, another kind of root worker who does the opposite of what you do. They're not kind like you are. Their idea is to beat the client down. They tell the client all the bad news they can. Why? Because they want to be the one who then is the savior and gets the money for doing the root work that solves the problem that they said existed that didn't exist. So that's why being honest and ethical is just the easiest. Tell, tell what you see. Tell them to get a second opinion or third. Well, all right. Let's see. What's happening here in California? Um, what I'm seeing happening here in California is uh, I've been working on my Patreon weekly offering. This one is going to be fireplaces in English tea rooms. Um, there's going to be English tea rooms in which we see only the exterior, no fireplace, but we see chimneys. <laughs> so we know there were fireplaces. Um, this is a, a topic dear to me, historical architecture, historical tea rooms. And um, I'm sure that some of you who think of me as you know, the old lady magician, they're going, why is she going on about tea rooms? Well, I'm a rather um, wide-ranging person with Gemini Rising, and historical architecture and historical social fads have always been of interest to me. Tea has always been of interest to me, and therefore put them all together, and they spell tea rooms. And I've spent a lot of time going to tea rooms in America, but tea rooms in England, I've been to them too, are a bit different. And so what I'm showing here is, what's up with all the fireplaces? I bet those of you who've been to England can guess. It's damn cold and wet there. So that's what I've been doing. Also been making goofer dust. Ugh, the product that I, I hate to make. Ugh, I made a whole nother mess of goofer dust, and of course it just smells up everything. Um, but it wouldn't be goofer dust if it didn't. You know, goofer dust has to smell up things. And been watching the volcano explode on La Palma and the Canary Islands. So that's my world. Now, I am not seeing that Conjurman Ali is here. He's not here. So we hmm. don't know why my dear co-host is not here. And uh, we have no message from him. We hope he's okay. Uh, this is, you know, it's happened. It has happened before, strangely enough. And so what we're going to do, we're adaptive people. We're going to shift Doc Murphy, <laughs> see, just by the, <laughs> the flashing, the, 
the twinkly little wand, bing, and now <laughs> Doc Murphy has gone from being a special guest to being a co-host. Surprise! <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I'm wondering if we have Miss um, Miranda Turow. Maybe she can come in as a special guest. What do you think, Doc Murphy? <laughs> oh, wouldn't co-host. that be a lot of fun? I, like I said, she's then, uh, up here in the frozen north with me. So, um, yeah. well, I know she, I, then, I think she might have signed up for uh, a reading, but let's get her in it. for a reading. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, then we have to find someone else to do a reading for. But I think, so, think it would be a kick in the pants if Miranda wants to be uh, on the show here with yeah, us. Yeah, I've have... never done a show with both you and Miss Miranda. I'm, I'm, I'm egging it on. Okay, so we need someone to get a reading, and if no one signs up for a reading, um, maybe Clifford will ask for a reading. <laughs> We've got all y'all in the chat room, and it's very low, by the way, this week, very few people, and thank you all for being here, um, Dr. Sweets and El Patricia and Onyx Rose and Tamara 999. This always has been the lowest this and um, Christmas and New Year's we usually don't even do a show on Christmas or New Year's because there's nobody here but Thanksgiving weekend is very low so y'all who are here dedicated and we love you the nice thing is these go into an archive these shows can be heard many 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 years into the future and so is Miss Miranda Tarot going to come on in she um, just said in the chat that she's calling in right now, so I think it'll yes. just be a matter of time before we get her. But. All right. Well, and also, uh, Nagashiva mentioned uh, the other time of low activity, Super Bowl. That's right. Uh, uh. So, well, let's, let's go to you, my newly made co-host, um, <laughs> Doc Murphy. How are things up in Paganistan? They are dark. <laughs> to Afghanistan. It's 5, 10 p.m. Central Standard Time, and it is the sun is down and it is pitch black. Um, right about the time that it gets to be close to the winter solstice, the sun is out of the sky. It has set at about, you know, 4.15 in the afternoon. It's just, it's just the days are short and the nights are dark. Um, but this, this, this thing that's kind of really remarkable about um, living here is that, um, uh, weirdly enough, these are also the nights that can be the brightest when the snow does finally come down. We haven't had any like heavy sticking snow yet. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, the the uh, albedo that bounces off of the snow. This is this is the refractive light that uh, reflects uh, into into the, the sky. Uh, usually, the moonlight and city lights and that sort of thing bounces off the snow, and it can it can make the nights here so bright. It's 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 one of the weird gifts about. Um, living this far north is that, you know, when there's snow on the ground, the nights are bright. We were out for a, a, a winter solstice several years ago, um, me and uh, several other pagan folks, and between the full moon that happened to be going that night and um, the albedo off of the snow, it was so bright outside that night, uh, you could literally sit and read a newspaper. It was amazing. So, wow. um, but we're not quite there yet. We haven't had a good sticky snow. It is getting, uh, you know, chilly as it is, but it is it is already dark. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I have to say, I know you from the north because of the way you pronounce the word snow. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
diluted with a little bit of East Coast Italian from my grandpa. But no, yeah. no, no, not a little bit. No, it's snow. Snow. It's snow. Like yeah. Upper Midwest snow. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, south South Milwaukee and uh, living in Minnesota here, so it, it catches yeah. on. Yeah. Yep. Um, all righty. Well, let's um, say hello to our special guest, Miss Miranda. <laughs> This is wild. I love it. <laughs> hey, we float. We float. Hey, Miranda. Hi. Um, me and Murphy, me and Doc Murphy just had a chit chat yesterday, actually, because we were talking about the show. So this is uh, quite interesting timing. But um, yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm just here until you know Contraman shows up. So I'm down. <laughs> if he, I, I'm having a feeling that he isn't going to show up. Um, he's been pretty busy with various stuff going on in his life, and that just may be what's up. We just may have to just uh, live with that. Um, Moving on, yeah. Well, our topic tonight is this darkness. It is um, Southern Conjure in the Frozen North. And I'm going to just introduce the topic a little bit. And I know that Doc has done a bunch of research, and that's going to be fun to listen to. But... Um, I wasn't really aware of differences between the South and the North growing up. I grew up in California. So we have winters, and, you know, you can go up the mountain and look at the snow if you want to, or even ski on it if you want to. But I lived in the Bay Area, and it doesn't snow there, but once every 10 years, and then everyone runs outside and goes, wow, it snowed for 10 minutes, you know. So we have uh, plants and animals from all over the world, from uh, subtropical and semi-tropical environments, including we can grow pretty much anything that grows in the U.S. South. We can grow things that grow in Japan. We just have this sort of climate where all you have to do is add water. That's the kicker. Do you have enough water? But if you add water, you can pretty much reproduce anything. So I never really understood until I began selling my products nationwide on the internet, how adaptive northern people had to be to use um, southern hoodoo. And I got so many questions about this uh, going back to the 1990s, and I didn't even have answers. I was like, I don't know what to say. Now, I had traveled around the north and gone to conjure shops in Detroit and places like that, but I'll tell you the truth, and Chicago, but I'll tell you the truth. I never went to them in the winter because why would you want to go to Detroit in the winter? You know, it's a summer it's a summer place to visit. Everything is really pretty. It's green. It's so green. You know, love it. But no, um, I did not ever go set foot in Detroit in the winter. Chicago, I was there in the winter. And I, if I had been more alert, I would have noticed something, which is that whereas in... Oakland and Berkeley and San Francisco, when I talked to the older women who did hoodoo, who are my major sources of knowledge, they would talk about keeping chickens in their backyard. They would talk about growing, you know, potatoes in their backyard. And all the farming things that they had brought from Mississippi or Louisiana were still going on in their backyards in Berkeley. They were growing roses. They were, you know, whatever. And they didn't ever say anything to me about how to cope with snow because they probably didn't know how to cope with snow. They did have hoodoo shops, and you could go there and buy oils and prepared things, but those exist in the South as well. 
I didn't realize until I was in Chicago during the winter how much people relied on store-bought or store-boughten, as you might say, um, hoodoo products because you couldn't go out and dig for them. And I, even though I lived through one horrible Illinois winter, it never occurred to me how frozen the ground really was. I just, you know, got into the uh, car and drove. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I or rode the train. I didn't think about what was going on outside. So this was all new to me in the 90s when people began to say, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I did ask older people, what do you do? And one of the things I was told was so antiquated, I began to realize I didn't know, I, I can't tell everybody this. Well, I was told if you have a spell and it needs to be buried and it's a bad spell and you can't bury it because the ground is frozen, just put it in the woodshed. So how many people in high-rise buildings in Detroit have woodsheds? They don't have woodsheds. So I realized I needed to learn more. And that is what I set about doing. But Doc Murphy came into this and Miranda came into this much more naturally because they live up north. So I'm going to turn it over to Doc Murphy, and she's going to take us away. Yeah, well, the other thing I kind of want to, to bring to people's attention, too, is that there's still sort of this, this weird myth that up here in the frozen north there just aren't that many African-American people around, that it's mostly sort of like Scandinavian white land up here, and um, their influence is not that big. Nothing could be further from the truth, um, especially during the um, – um, the Depression era in the early 20th century, the migration north brought a great deal of African-American uh, population and culture up to a lot of these uh, northern cities. Uh, notice Chicago is the most notable one, but also places like D Detroit and, and Minneapolis and Milwaukee. And in a lot of cases, the reason that people that live here don't know as much about the African-American history is that quite literally some of these um, very successful uh, self-sufficient African-American neighborhoods uh, were demolished under the, under the banner of urban renewal. And really what it was was infrastructural apartheid. Uh, to give you kind of an example, when I was living in Milwaukee, uh, when I was going to graduate school, um, learned very surprisingly that there actually was a self-sufficient African-American neighborhood, its own banks, its own businesses, its own everything self-sufficient, um, that was very successful and well-known, but by 1960, 1969, um, they, uh, after uh, World War II, they built the I-43 highway and plowed right through uh, the middle of Bronzeville, and it has never recovered. That, that, that sort of uh, neighborhood and that sort of cultural kind of uh, uh, um, impetus in Milwaukee, they've never really recovered. Um, Milwaukee is one of the most racially segregated northern cities. And um, literally the, the most uh, economically depressed but also most largely African-American neighborhood in Milwaukee is literally boxed in on either side by I-43 on one side and Wauwatosa on the other side. And it's, it was strange how people just don't cross those lines. Um, another example, mm -hmm. right, here in, right here in the Twin Cities was the Rondo neighborhood. Same sort of thing, you know, a, a self-sufficient African-American neighborhood. Shops, banks, businesses, schools, the whole, the whole thing. There's actually a, now an organization called Rondo Revitalization that's actually working to um, revitalize that community here. Same thing, 1960s, 1969, they plowed the building of I-35 right through the middle of it. It's, it's, and again, it's, they're working on recovering it. But again, in these kind of 
urban self-sufficient African-American neighborhoods, you bet these were, um, you know, cultural centers and places where you, you know, uh, could do business, but also places where tradition and magic and culture was passed. I got this information actually earlier from Miss Miranda that in Detroit, uh, the same thing, the Black Bottom neighborhood was largely started out as an Eastern Jewish neighborhood. And then during the uh, prior to the Depression, African-Americans moved north to work in the factories in Detroit. Um, and again, under urban renewal, um, the Black Bottom uh, uh, neighborhood was replaced um, by the Chrysler Freeway and Lafayette Park under, again, urban renewal. So a lot of times if people are like, well, I, I didn't know there was any African-American presence here in my city. If you live in a city in the north, Chances are, and there's a big interstate in the middle of it, chances are if you do a little bit of digging, you might be surprised and actually find that um, you have not been properly told about the influence of, of African-American culture and the existence of these African-American communities in an urban setting up north. So there is a very, very big a presence of, you know, not just the, not just African-American culture generally, but, you know, clearly there was northern hoodoo going on here. Um, but there's, that's, that's also sort of why there's, there's sort of these um, um, quite literally geographic, um, you know, separations in very racialized neighborhoods here in the north. So just a little bit of kind of, you know, shattering that myth that this is mostly white people up here. It absolutely is not. It's a, it's a very big presence up here. You're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I'd also say that the um, some of the, the we we talk about the Great Northern Migration and and um, those of us who know history know what we're talking about. But someone listening to this mm-hmm, show mm-hmm. might not know what that was. That Contraband Ollie's voice. It, it is yes yes. I've been listening. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I recognize that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hi. Um, Hello. Uh, Um, So the Great Northern Migration is a term that refers to a period right after World War I and lasting until about 1975 when it stopped. And it is because in the wake of emancipation at the end of the Civil War, it took the white separatist um, racist some time to regroup. And then they fought back with a vengeance and they passed these so-called Jim Crow laws, which were these segregationist mm-hmm. laws. It's hard for people to understand that segregation is a primarily 20th century phenomenon. And mm-hmm. the the um, idea that um, white people hated black people and so forth was fueled by uh, institutions like the Klu Ku Klux Klan. So when we talk about the Great Northern Migration, we're talking about people going north not to escape slavery, but to escape this second wave of actually um, much worse in some I mean, there's nothing worse than being enslaved, but much more violent um, randomness where whole towns could be burned down. And that mm-hmm. hadn't happened until those towns existed. And, you know, you can find out about these, even in the Midwest, the Tulsa race riots. And there's, there's, these, yep. there's these things that happened, and people just kept on moving north to escape it. And those who stayed in the south were often considered to be rural people. They owned land or they were considered rural. And the idea that black people were urban it didn't really hit until the Great Northern Migration was over. And what Doc Murphy was talking about, putting these interstates through and destroying self-sufficient black neighborhoods, that 
created these urbanized high-rises and ghettos where people were crammed into smaller spaces. And then black culture became known as urban culture, which is Mm -hmm. like very odd. I mean, white culture is just as urban, but urban music, (laughs) urban whatever, that's supposed to mean northern black people. So this idea is... Change, it's code, exactly. So these ideas change over time. Now, having said that, for the benefit of any uh, younger listeners who just really don't know what we're talking about, what happened then was the need to adapt hoodoo, which uses a lot of contact magic, to these northern climates. For instance, if the, the most common one that I was always asked about is, what do you do when the ground is frozen? So <laughs> let's throw let's throw this open. We still have Miranda, and we have a four person panel now because we got Woo-hoo. we got uh, we got Miranda, we got Conjurman, who ought to say hi, hi, say hi, Conjurman. Hello, hello. Sorry, the blog talk was a bit difficult, but I made it in. You made it in. <laughs> okay. Well, we're 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 gonna move on with the idea of what can you do when the ground is frozen. That is the most commonly asked thing. So let's just throw it open to everybody and talk about it. Miranda, do you want to start with this one? Well, I kind of, I can, um, because uh, well, we were just talking about this last night, um, and mm-hmm. Murphy, please step in at any time. But um, when it comes to, like, frozen ground, there is a lot of other ways to get into the ground, and it depends on, you can use warm water. It could also be, like, um, the dirt closer to your home. But also, the Great North has one of the biggest advantages is that freezing spells, running rivers, those kinds of things are up here. So there are places where you can, you know, deal and move around um, the, maybe the one big problem of having frozen ground, but also like um, you can't go super deep. Like a lot of cemeteries here, I know this sounds crazy, but they don't, uh, a lot of times they used to not bury the dead until the springtime because the ground is so frozen so deep. So, you know, you just have to think about how much dirt do you need? How much do you really need to put this under? You could also get, I didn't mention the stone Murphy the other night, but you could also get topsoil. You can buy topsoil if you really need to make this magic happen. But um, mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm besides the point, Murphy's got a lot planned for this, so hit it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so, so frozen ground, uh, also the, uh, what I actually did was I, I kind of went to the forum and uh, the Lucky Mojo forum to kind of like, oh, what were people asking about? And it seems to be kind of these categories of like, oh, no, the ground is frozen. What do I do? Oh, no, the lake is frozen. What do I do? And, oh, Lord, it's bloody cold. Do I really have to go to the crossroads and be naked? That sort of a thing. And <laughs> if people at, who, who don't live up here some some understanding I had explained this to, a, to a, a student of mine who came in from, from a lower part of the East Coast that it can get so cold here that people can drive their trucks out and park it on the ice and build little houses and put holes in the ice and fish and stay there. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it can get that mm-hmm. cold. Um, so We have shantytowns come, you know, come the winter when people set up uh, for ice fishing and things like that. Those are, those are actual towns. They're actually like yeah, uh, groups where people congregate. It's wild, but true. Yeah. So, but the other thing is that underneath that frozen lake, it, there is still running water. And, and depending on, like I said, maybe not on a day when the trucks are parked out there, but even if there is a, a, a level of ice on the river, you can figure out a way to like, 
pitch a rock in there and break that ice or kind of go to the edge of the shore where it's a little bit thinner, you can figure out a way to, like I said, jam, jam what you need to into a frozen lake. Also, um, there, there is this as well, is that it, it can get incredibly deadly cold up here. And if you're not prepared for it, the climate here, well, can kill you if you're not ready. And there's something about when you have to dispose of a spell or when you have to, you know, end something that has to end badly, like a, a, a you know, a go-away spell, or, or, or you want this relationship to break up or end, or you want something that, that needs to die, essentially. Well, you know what? Go ahead and leave it out in the freezing cold on one of those nights where it's a 70, minus 70 degree Fahrenheit wind chill. It's going to die, you know. It's a little bit, sometimes people think it's tall tales, but there was a period for a while where like you heard from Duluth, Minnesota, like, you know, Bob left the bar drunk and then Bob disappeared. And you're like, where did, where did Bob go? He went away on a snowy night. You know, then the snow melts in the spring and oh, we found Bob. You know, he had dropped there drunk and he got buried by the snow and he died. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit harrowing. It sounds like something out of a, a Coen Brothers movie. But um, if you're not prepared <laughs> for the climate up here, it can kill you. But that's also, again, where you can use it at your advantage. Maybe you can't bury it, but you can certainly go to the crossroads on a freezing cold day. And when the sun goes on in a freezing cold night, whatever it is that you needed to deposit will die overnight in the freezing cold. Mm. So that's one way to mm. think of it as well. A lot of the things that you have to bury, you can also scatter at the crossroads for a reason. So this is, mm-hmm. this is one of the ways that you adapt, right? So instead of burying something, you dispose of it at a crossroads. The crossroads are always available. Even in the snow, you can eventually find a crossroads. Um, but also people have adapted for things that you need to bury close. So when you do work that involves burying in your front yard or your backyard, what happens if your front yard and your backyard is frozen over, will you bury it in a potted plant and you keep it close mm-hmm. indoors? So there are ways of adapting, and anyone who's lived in these sort of climates knows that you have to adjust. Um, hoodoo is adaptable in this regard, that it's not divorced from its environment. If a person is living in an area where you can't bury something in your front yard, well, then people adapt it to put something in their potted plant. If you need to dispose of something, then you adapt it to go to the crossroads, throw over your shoulder and walk away. So there are ways of, of doing this type of work. Um, even, even graveyard work, I have found, can be adapted. Maybe you're no longer burying things, but you're leaving things at gates, um, or you're burying them, you know, waiting until it melts before you bury something. You continue to work it. Uh, lighting candles on that jar that you've got. You keep working until the snows melt so that you can bury. There are ways of adapting your working to the environment that you're in. So in the chat, a gladiator said, my plants all die, then what? You ki- killed the plants? The plant. just died no, no, own? no. He's. I, I believe that gladiator is talking about the winter. Ah, yeah. Frost. Well, I mean, look. The frost look, done you, killed the vine. The the frost has killed your potted plants too. You know, there are ah. you keep certain things in the house. I don't mean potted plants in the outside. I mean potted plants in your mm-hmm. house. So, like, if you're doing a lovely stay with me spell or a love stay with me conjure or something, you keep it in the small potted plant that's in your house or on top of your table, the the beautiful little plant that you've got and you keep alive. And if that plant dies, then that tells you something. 
You've killed, you're mm-hmm. still working to a certain extent. The living plant is a, a working in of itself. Right? As long as you keep it alive, it continues to work on that particular thing. So this isn't about burying it in the, in the dead stuff that's outside your house. It's about the stuff that's in your house upon it. I've even told clients to actually get specific pots of dirt that have no plants in them as a way of holding something until the snows melt so that you can bury it. You put Excellent. it in a pot of dirt, you keep it outside so that it's not in the house, and you keep it there until the snows melt, and then you can go and take the entire pot of dirt and bury it once the grounds have thawed. Mm-hmm. That's that's really nice. That that kind of goes to that idea of keep it in the woodshed that I was talking about earlier. Yep. And um, another thing I'm going to say is there's a tradition with some plants that don't like really um, frozen winters, which is called laying them down. Roses are done this way. When people grow roses in the north and want to keep them from year to year, roses don't do well when you bring them into the house, but they do well when you lay them down. So you go and you dig a trench next to the rose, and then you cut some of the roots on the side opposite the trench, and you leave the rest of the roots connected, and you lay them down, and you mound them over with dirt and then with straw. And um, in the spring, you upright them. They regrow the roots. They still have roots. You water them, and they will come right back again. They lay dormant under this bed of straw, a little bit of dirt and straw. So you can lay plants down. And this idea of putting um, a spell in the ground in a pot is really a good idea because you just keep the pot out there frozen, you bring it in, it'll defrost in your house, you know, bury your thing in it, take it back outside. It's, it's a brilliant way to work, okay? Mm-hmm. And Miss Miranda also mentioned in the chat here that uh, a lot of folks also wrap their trees and their plants in, in burlap and bury them for the winter that way. And put, burying something kind of underneath the burlap, you know, while you're doing that is perfectly acceptable too. So, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The last one I'll mention is that a lot of people here um, like to put mulch and other things down, not just like, the, you know, if you're laying down roses, you're mentioning straws and insulator, but a lot of people re-mulch right before the winter, so it helps cover the beds, keeps the, the nutrient rich, but does protect some of those, you know, uh, annual uh, or sorry, the perennial um, going. Mm-hmm. But if you, that's what I mentioned earlier. Is like, do you need, you can buy topsoil, you can even buy more mulch, and you can get something and bury it technically in your property, on your yard, that's a part of the land. Because you're, mm-hmm. you know, not all that mulch mm-hmm. freezes right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so I think we've, we've covered a lot of ways to deal with frozen ground. I think <laughs> I'd like to talk, well, there's there's a whole series of these questions. I mm-hmm. like to talk about the availability of herbs. There are a number of southern spells mm-hmm. that use living plants, like chambriar and things like that. But mm-hmm. let's say we're not going to deal with those. Those plants aren't native up there anyway. But in my experience, the drying of herbs was introduced into hoodoo through contact with Native Americans who had to dry their herbal matter because of the problem of the frozen north. And so even in places, um, you know, up to mid-Atlantic, it will freeze, not hard freeze like the north, but it will freeze. And so the idea of drying plants was also um, imported by the British 
and generally European colonialist people, going back way back to the 1500s, 1600s, they knew the same thing because they lived in a coldish climate. So whereas in the South we think of the uh, the root doctor is going out in the woods and digging roots, and it's all really great. Um, that can't always be the case. And the marketing of dried herbs, I think, became more common the farther people moved north. But remember, that northern movement happened even before the Great Northern Migration, when people like uh, Dr. E.P. Reed moved from Virginia to Philadelphia. And he began selling dried herbs. So mm-hmm. there's a reason that dried herbs are used in hoodoo. And Harry Hyatt interviewed a lot of people in the South about this. And there were a couple of people, and he was in the South, not the North. And there were a couple of people he talked to. One man said very distinctly, dried herbs are more powerful than than um, fresh herbs. They make a better tea. They make a better bath tea. Mm-hmm. And uh, he preferred to use dried herbs. So this adaptation to a temperate climate of African magic, which is tropical magic, to a temperate climate started happening well before the Great Northern Migration and started happening even in the U.S. South. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say you also see the the heavy influence on kitchen herbs as well, right? Um, and the, the beginnings of the importance of the supply shop, the great urbanization and, and the, the great northern migration and urban centers remind us that hoodoo isn't just sort of frozen in time. There is a sort of weird romanticization that happens that oh, the only real hoodoo is the hoodoo that happened on the plantation and everything that happened afterwards is fake. <laughs> it's not real hoodoo. But in actuality, what we start to see is um, that the supply shops, start to provide for people who don't have access to the herbs that they may have had, say, in a rural setting. So purchasing herbs is just as old as, as hoodoo itself to some extent. People have been doing it for decades, well over a century now, that they've been ordering their herbs online, and that's just as hoodoo, or they've been ordering it through big catalogs and, and getting it in the mail, and it's perfectly acceptable. So you, you're not always going out there and foraging and finding herbs out in nature, like, ah, oh, yes, i got to... You've got to go and track down your John the Conqueror route yourself out there in nature. We can't really do that in, you know, minus 70 degrees in Minnesota, right? But you can order your John the Conqueror route through a supply shop, and that's perfectly mm-hmm. acceptable. So that that's part of it, the, the adoption to uh, a sort of new ways of, of access, if you will, and purchasing them through supply shops, but also the reliance on kitchen herbs, the reliance on things that are easily accessible in the pantry. Hoodoo is, mm-hmm. is natural magic, but it's natural magic that, that lives in a city as well, not just in the rural area. So people access to things like basil and mint, things that you can open up your pantry. Ah, there's salt, there's mint, there's, you know, basil. It's right there. Um, and you can work with them like that. So you, you start to see that the and this urban environment also has an impact on the way that voodoo access its natural material, its magical material. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the use of kitchen herbs, that's a, that was a brilliant thought, uh, Conjurman. The use of kitchen herbs um, definitely increased as people were brought from Africa to a temperate zone, tropical Africa to a temperate zone. 
and also during the era of slavery where many black people were denied ownership of pretty much anything, but kitchen herbs could always be had. So I've often thought that the use of kitchen herbs in hoodoo actually is a very old level of hoodoo that dates back a long, long way. And it's um, many kitchen herbs, as I always point out, are in the mint family. And mm. there's this whole, the mint plants are very aromatic, which is why they're used as culinary herbs. So this whole world of mint family relatives forms a real strong basis of hoodoo herb magic. And that would be, um, of course, mint, peppermint, spearmint, uh, basil, thyme, marjoram, oregano, rosemary, lavender. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on and on. There's just a ton of them, and they're all in the mint family. And they would all be available as kitchen herbs. Mm-hmm. We, also, we also have the gift up here in the north of, of uh, deciduous trees and deciduous leaves where, um, the, depending on the um, breed of the tree um, and depending on the season, you have this wonderful series of colors that you can use. And Rand and I were actually talking last night about how fallen leaves actually make really nice petition papers, uh, paper for lack of a better word, uh, very natural ones, where, and, they're, and they're color-coded depending on your um, intent. So if you pick up a green one because you want money, you pick up a red one if you want love, you pick up a yellow one if you want luck. You, you know, kind of we know these associations and then you kind of write, you know, whatever your prayer petition is with a, the natural material, a number two pencil in a pinch, but, you know, like, like a piece of burnt charcoal and mm-hmm. dry that leaf and use it as a, as a concern. Or if it's for, a, you know, a, a more um, a justified um, uh, negative working, you know, kind of put it on your altar and let that thing curl up and die eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also dry them out and as as that petition paper and 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 crunch them up and uh, put them in baths. And if they're edible teas, but usually baths would be kind of the thing to do. And it would also add a little bit of extra natural punch. So um, we have we have things up here like uh, maple uh, and um, ash and and um, oak, all sorts of really wonderful things up here that change color and uh, can definitely use that transformative process for um, prayer petitions. Yeah. You know. I was I was always told as a child that fallen leaves are lucky if you catch them before they hit the ground. Is yeah. <laughs> That's a thing up here too. Yeah. For Same sure. with feathers, feathers from birds, if you catch them before they hit the ground. That's a lucky feather for you. Um, mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, there, there's um, a really nice idea in that idea of, of uh, fallen leaves. That's that's, mm-hmm. that's useful. That's very useful. And of course, I'm gonna, and of course, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, sorry. I was just saying. Of course, of course, up here we have snow too. And boy, there's endless things we can do with snow magically up here. But I'll, mm-hmm. I'll defer here mm-hmm. just for a bit. Well, we'll get to that <laughs> in a moment because we're going to get to the waters. I hope. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is wreaths. So in the um, festive season, we have Thanksgiving wreaths, we have Christmas wreaths, and so forth. These wreaths can be interwoven with and dressed for protecting a home, um, using door wreaths to um, weave a little bit of this or that into so that the home is protected or blessed or draws money. And I've seen people make wreaths of all, you know, we think of a pine wreath or with pine cones. But um, think about adapting that a little bit 
and putting in a few other things into the wreath, and it could even be essential oils and um, uh, garlands. Um, so, Miss Miranda, you mentioned here bayberry wreaths. You mentioned that in the uh, chat. Well, and um, oh, then I you said bay leaf. You said bay yeah, leaf. Sorry, Apologies. Yes. Right. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's bay leaf. I mean, bay leaves are not um, local to the up, like into this northern climate. But there's other mm-hmm. things that are as well as like especially pine needles. If we're thinking about the smell of pine and the associations mm-hmm. with that, but people making anything that is um, almost in celebration of the the items that are around their home is a wonderful mm-hmm. thing to put on your door because it's protective and it yeah. speaks to the things that are around you. It also is not you're bringing you're not bringing in something that isn't native to the land. But there are some really wonderful things that over time we've started to see that hoodoo have associations for northern plants and flora fauna. Mm-hmm. So I think there's many things, I, but, it, again, I'm talking out of turn. Yeah, it, it, another one that, that was, brought, it was brought into hoodoo through contact with people um, of the north is the use of mistletoe. And, um, mm-hmm. again, this wouldn't be something from Africa, but it is quite... Uh, it has a meaning and a use in hoodoo now. And you can make mistletoe wreaths as well or put mistletoe in wreaths. So, yeah. So let's go to waters, okay? That, that's, what's, mm-hmm. that's where we're headed next. So water in what we might call southern hoodoo, we have running water, we have stagnant water, muddy water. You know, there's all these different waters. There's waters from springs that are, you know, uh, well-known hot springs or mineral springs that have a healing quality. And there's also um, the idea of um, throwing things into water as well as using water from special places. So how does that adapt to the north? Well, we're fortunate where we are in the Twin Cities is that we're sitting right on the Mississippi River, which is a, a magnificent place to um uh, dispose of spells or to kind of finish off work. Also, the, we are the land of 10,000 lakes, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the sweet water seas, mm-hmm. um, so plenty of fresh water to go around. Um, yeah, some of the Great Lakes as well. Like I said, I, I lived for years in um, Milwaukee, just two blocks from the shore of Lake Michigan, um, and a lot of folks in kind of the um, northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, kind of these areas up here are, are butt up right against uh, Lake Superior, which are powerful um, places of, of sacred water. Um, some people, when they visit, are, are surprised that they're not the ocean because they're so huge. And they're cold, and they're always cold, and they're always moving. And the gales that come off of the lakes, um, I mean, I've heard in uh, uh, folk songs like the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, um, when, the, when the gales and the storms come off of the lakes, the lake effect weather, um, the movement of the water and the wind can be relentless. So if you have the, the mm-hmm. chutzpah to go out on a day, when the gales are blowing, um, to throw your work into the lake, it's, it's a, a, a powerful um, disposition of the spell for sure. And it's a, it's a powerful place to come, go and collect water too. The, the, um, the water of the Mississippi is, is, is ancient and sacred, as is the Great Lakes, and they have a, a, a different quality of power. But if you want to go and collect those waters for spell work, they're, they're incredibly um, ancient and powerful and and uh you know you're you're very easily dwarfed in those sort of situations mm-hmm. okay, i'm going to throw in something else too people talk about using storm water um I was just and about that's to mention a, that, yeah. yeah go ahead then you talk about it huh? 
Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that the storms up north are pretty, pretty intense. Um, and gathering waters is very, very old, and particularly gathering storm waters. Um, so if you can capture the lightning storms up north, which happen quite frequently, particularly during the summers, um, that's one way to do it. But in the winters, they have their own unique quality to them, the icy snow, winter storms. Gathering that water to use in, in a working is particularly powerful. Um, so you, the type of water that you use can be has a certain spiritual quality to it that you can adapt into your hoodoo, into your work. So, for example, when I'm doing freezer jar work, if you can gather, if you're in a northern climate and you can gather those frozen waters, you can gather a, a, a water from a, a storm, a winter storm, and include that, add the lemons in that, add the salt, the alum, and all that into that, and then place it, use that to freeze. That's going to have an even more powerful quality, but also using the snow itself. So placing your freezer working in a small bucket and placing it outside to freeze overnight rather than putting it in your freezer is one way of working with the winters and adapting your freezer drum work um, to the, to the <laughs> that's, weather. That's brilliant. That is definitely a, a brilliant idea, especially if you want to put somebody on ice and you don't mind if they thaw out later. Oh, that's a that's a very interesting idea. I had never considered it before. Uh, putting them on ice outside. And um, oh, we are living yeah. we are living in a freezer spell up here. Absolutely, <laughs> there's, there's lots of uh, free, freezing work. And uh, with, with regard to catching um, uh, the snow of the or uh, the water of the storms on the very very beautiful and rare occasions that we get thunder snow up here, mm-hmm. um, that is incredibly mm-hmm. powerful water to be able to catch. It's 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 a rare. Uh, instance when you actually have a kind of blizzard and, and storm that also brings thunder and lightning, but you know they happen from time to time, and that is powerful, powerful stuff. Um, you know, like I said, we There's get a, also we get a lot hail. Of the May I just mention hail? Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of that here. You probably do get some of it. And also, oh, boy, when, I lived in, when I lived in Missouri, there were these bizarre ice storms. And they are probably more common in the southern Midwest because they come when rain has fallen and then a cold front moves in. It's a, you know, it's kind of unexpected drop in the temperature, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everything is covered with ice. It's really weird. Ice storms are very strange, and that leads also to icicles and icicles dripping off of the uh, roof line. Um, are these kind of daggers, you know. There's a there's a lot of form that ice takes that are kind of interesting. And yeah. I would, you know, consider those things. Freezing snow and freezing ice that fell outside to use later is kind of a cool idea if you want that feeling of ice, you know, of natural ice rather than just something that's made in your freezer. People back in in Missouri and even in California, when it ever does snow around here, which is so rarely, people will make little pathetic little snowballs and make little three of them together, (laughs) make a tiny little snowman and put it in their freezer. (laughs) Oh, that's too cute. That's hilarious. (laughs) I've done it several times. I was just going to point out that Miss Miranda said in the chat, icicles are great for stabbing. Well, yeah, we make snow babies here and we make snow effigies here and and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to kind of either uh, form a little, you know, a little, oh, I'm making a snowman. I mean, you're making a, mm-hmm. a snow doll baby of somebody that you can't stand or that you want to actually, like, 
justifiably curse and so you know stick them stab them with those uh icicles draw their name into it put piss on it do whatever you want to and then pick up snow baby and throw them against a tree and watch them smash um mm-hmm. oh, we, wow life hold. and on I the like other hand their I, eyes I actually, out with icicles Ooh, oh yeah well i also got mm-hmm. this kind of a uh on the other side of using snow i got this from my friend miss judy where she said well you, you can use the imprint of snow angels actually where if people that live in other climates and they don't know what the heck a snow angel is it's when you lay flat in the snow when you're playing as a kid but you can do it as a grown-up too and you wave your arms and your legs back and forth and back and forth and then when you get up the, the imprint of that motion looks like there's a head and of his wings and a skirt, so it kind of looks like an angel. Well, if you're doing that while you're praying Psalm 23 or Psalm 91, if you're invoking um, uh, St. Michael, which is what Miss Judy did, um, then you actually can kind of scrape out the snow from that outline, and there you've got you know powerful protective water angelically blessed as well. Um, so That's sometimes really doing nice. angelic magic like that, um, and I said, there's, there's all, all sorts of creative things that you can do with snow. And some people get pretty elaborate with their snow sculptures here. So if you really have a day with plenty of snow and lots of time and a really good intent, you can, you can uh, pretty much build whatever you want to and, and destroy whatever you want to in the, in the snow. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, an old, there's an old song called, um, I found her little footprints in the snow. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes on and on. Um, so footprints in the snow is like capturing footprints in dirt, but it doesn't stay. It it will, of course, melt. Mm-hmm. But once it melts, you've got footprint water. And that yep. means that. you could use mm-hmm. that to make um, a bath. For instance, just to give you an example of the way my mind thinks, okay, I, some some nice lover-type person comes to visit, and you got the footprints in the snow, you go gather up those footprints, and you melt them down, and you use them to take a love bath and put in love oils and stuff. Now you are bathing, completely bathing in the essence of your lover in that footprint snow. Now, you would never do that with dirt footprints. What, are you going to rub dirt all over yourself? <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Um, so you melt, melt the snow, and uh, you can work with that. Oh, yeah. Might uh, I add, we were... I would say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, I'll go after you. Oh, uh, I was just saying that uh, if you gather those tracks, you could also water a plant, something that you keep inside your home if you wanted to contain it in a different way other than freezing or even just keeping it for something else. But I like the love bath. I think that's wonderful. Mm, yeah. That's great. Yeah, working with the elements is, is smart. I have a client uh, who lives in Michigan, and she's a very difficult mother-in-law. So she quite literally works with the seasons. When winter comes around, mother-in-law comes for Christmas. So she has, I had her make a doll baby with alum powders, and when winter sets in, she sets the doll baby in a bucket of water outside to freeze. And so Christmas time, she strips the mother-in-law of her power, puts her out literally on ice. And then when spring comes around and melts the waters and the doll baby goes back inside, she has no intention of harming the mother-in-law. She doesn't want the mother-in-law to die or be miserable, but she does want to control this mother-in-law who nags and hurts and harms and brings discord into the house during the season. So she, quite literally, there's this whole season where she's like, all right, time for the mother-in-law to go out on ice. Uh, so we had her make this little doll baby with alum stuffed inside, freezes it every winter. Every time the w- snows thaw, 
the doll baby comes back inside and the family is reunited because the mother-in-law is no longer coming to visit. Everything is fine. We can talk by a phone. <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> so this is just a sort of seasonal, seasonal freezing that she does dealing with her mother-in-law. That's cool. Right. That well, and another sort cool. of foot track uh, trick they picked up from um, uh, Miss Judy was, uh, you know, around here, if there's a uh, glare ice on the sidewalks where it's really dangerous and you have people walking on it, people sprinkle rock salt on top of it because that's what melts the ice. The chemical reaction mm-hmm. actually does that. Well, if you want to um, hot foot somebody or you want to, um, you know, have somebody walk into some sort of uh, situation, instead of putting down powder, which you'd be able to see, or dirt, which you'd be able to see, you can actually use bath salts instead and sprinkle that in the path of somebody that you want, that, that's your target, because it looks just like the, the kind of salt that you sprinkle on um, on the ice in order to, and it, it, because it's white and you know people won't even notice it as they walk right through it so it's something something else that we kind of picked up that that was a little handy thing you want to you want to um you know get that person across the street who's cute to notice you if you sprinkle some uh come to me bath salts in their path and have them walk on it they'll think they're just walking on the same kind of salt that melts the ice little do they know mm. <laughs> that's uh, that is brilliant um to take um um, rocks use bath salts that are, you know, what I would call uh, prepared, seasoned bath mm-hmm. salts in mm-hmm. the track of the path of the one you're working on, and no one will notice it. That's amazing. That's really, really good. I like if you that. capture their uh, footprint in the snow, you can also boil it to hot foot them. So that Miss Cat was thinking the loving way of doing bath is thinking how to boil that stuff. So if you capture someone's footprint in the snow, bring that back, put it in on boil. Heat them up quite literally to drive them away. Wow! <laughs> it should evaporate them. That's good. Oh yeah, that too. That's excellent. Yeah. So I think we we've come up with a lot of ways to work. Of course, in the cold um, times, one of the things that we all love is candle magic when the days are short and dark. And so I also feel that the Great Northern Migration was responsible in large part for the rise of um, candle magic. And Miranda says in the chat, we can also have bonfires safely. Mm-hmm. And um, I I mentioned that in the book Bottle Up and Go. When your freezer spells expire, take everything out, build a campfire, and uh, roast the frozen stuff like marshmallows. And so that's a nice time to take, you know, to make that transition from a freezer spell to a a burning spell. Um, that's that's a good way to work as well. So um, I think we've covered an awful lot of, of ways to work in the frozen north. And as I said, mm-hmm. candles in the window are another feature of uh, northern holiday time. People put candles out. All oh, you know, they have electric mm-hmm. candles, they have LED candles, they have real candles in the windows. Mm-hmm. It's considered mm-hmm. to be the time when you want to show light. So don't forget those candle spells with something hidden in the candle holder socket. Okay, that's oh, a good way yeah, to work. There we go. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there is our music, and we've, uh, boy, we've thrown out a hundred ideas. I hope. You all are ready to pick them up and use them. And uh, that's what we do this for, to get people going. So let's turn this over to uh, Clifford, and um, we're going to have our client tonight will be our panelist, Miranda. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curia Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic Cronjure practitioners, located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call one 888 hoodoo or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's client. Our caller is, is Miss Miranda in area code 415. Miss Miranda, are you there? I am. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> All right. And I have been. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, apparently um, you said, I recently bought a great 120-year-old house. It's had a number of upgrades over the years, and I knew I had a couple of outstanding repairs, but the costs have gone above my original estimates and the budget a few times now. I would love to draw in more money to help quickly fund these repairs with little debt, and I'd love to work with the spirit of the house to help fulfill its wants and needs too, as I feel as the house chose me. Any rootworker messages in the situation would help to go help me to go forward. I do plan to live here for at least 10 more years and possibly until the end of my life. Wow. All right. So, um, Miranda, my first question for you is, what sign of the zodiac are you? Scorpio. A Scorpio. Well, that's a fixed sign. And if a fixed sign says, I'll live here 10 plus years until the end of my life, they'll do it too. And also a water sign and therefore naturally psychic. So, um, I'm going to um, ask here that um, Conjurman do your first reading, okay? Okay. Yeah, thanks. Is yeah, happy to happy to do that reading for you. Um, I'm going to pull some cards here, uh, just uh, just to clarify uh, as I'm doing this. So you you've purchased this house already, and now you're really looking for uh, an answer. Will you be able to settle in and? Stay there long-term and then hopefully get some strategies on how to work with the spirit of the house and spirit of the land, et cetera, in order to ensure that longevity. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, wonderful. So I, I'm pulling three cards here. The first card that I have kind of jumps out. Now, I always read uh, the cards that jump out. Uh, I think they're significant, uh, and they tell us quite a bit. So the Page of Cups has jumped out, and the Page of Cups indicates messages. It can indicate unreliability in, in the messages, so there is be mindful. It shows us a young figure that is standing on the shore with a goblet in their hand, and the little fish that's sticking out, kind of speaking to that young page. And so there's an indication of being aware that messages will come your way, that to be mindful of the messages that, that show up, but also to be discerning of those messages, to, to do some form of filtering work. This is going to be important, particularly that if you start working with the land or you start working with the spirits of the land in some way, shape, or form, uh, or you do any type of working, you might start to get spiritual messages. Um, work to filter. I always tell clients whenever they start to do work with spirits, I have seen the page of cups, test the spirits. So as you do any type Ooh. of land work, any type of spirit, test that spirit in the name of your higher creator in the name of Jesus Christ, and they will test the spirit, ask them questions, make sure that you're working with a truthful spirit, and be able to discern those that sort of chatter and 
bring in spiritual nonsense, as I like to call it, and those that bring actual spiritual wisdom. So that's just the card that kind of jumped out, that flipped out of the deck as I was shuffling them. I always take note of that card when it shows up. The three cards that I have here are strong indications that you will be able to develop a very strong relationship with the place that you live in and that it will be enduring. The first card is the Magician card, which gives us a very clear sign that, yes, magical work can be called upon here and will be successful. You have what it takes in order to be victorious. You have what it takes in order to build this relationship here. Here we have a sorcerer, a magician, a mage standing before an altar with all the symbolic uh, tools of the elements. We have the cups of water. We have the sword of air, the staff of fire, and the pentacle of earth. And this is a person who is raising their hand up, drawing and manifesting from above, bringing it below, as above, so below, as below, so above. You will be able to build a strong relationship. The key will be to build some type of altar in the home. So you want to set up a home altar. Mm -hmm. And this should be an altar that's dedicated not just to the magical work that you do for, like, say, clients or for love or whatnot, but for building that house. So it should be where you put pictures of your loved ones. It should be sort of a Mm -hmm. house blessing altar. Place a living plant on there. We see living plants in this particular card. We see roses. We see beautiful lilies. So some type of living plant should be placed upon this altar, and so long as that plant is kept alive, so too will you be able to keep your roots. This might be even a plant that you find on the property that you bring inside and keep alive. Um, It could also just be a plant that you work with outside. As long as you keep this plant alive, you should bury something underneath it. As long as you keep it alive, you'll be able to, to stay there. I'm just putting some signposts out there so when this cat gives root work, she mm-hmm. can kind of uh, pick, up, pick up the pieces there. She knows exactly what we're mm-hmm. talking about. We, we, we tag-team this stuff. <laughs> We've done mm-hmm. this stuff. <laughs> so she knows, she's, I, I can already tell that she knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say work with some type of living plant and make sure that it stays alive. The Queen of, mm-hmm. Pentacles, or the Queen of Cups is the next card, and then this really speaks to what this cat said already, that you already have psychic abilities. Miranda, I think you're Miss Miranda Tarot, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a dove yes. card. <laughs> you see it already. This is not, there's, no, there's no, magic, no unique insight provided by this card other than it just confirms us. Yeah, she's psychic. She knows what the fuck she's doing, right? She knows what she's doing. Listen to the intuitions that you've got. Listen to the, your, ability, your psychic abilities. Hear, learn to develop the ability to hear. This, the, only, the only real advice that comes with the Queen of Pentacles is a reminder that you are psychic, that you are intuitive, that you have this ability. Sometimes when a situation is close to us, when we are really kind of focused on what's going on in our life, we have a hard time listening, right? We're better at giving advice than listening to our own advice. This is just a reminder to listen to your own advice. You are wise in your own right. You have deep spiritual powers to listen to those powers, be in tune, see what feels right, see what doesn't feel right, and let that guide and flow in your life that will guide your work and provide you insight. But that also um, the work that you do in building this house may likely lead to an increase in your spiritual powers. So don't be surprised if you find yourself picking up new forms of divination uh, in this house. You might pick up something. I'm not sure if you do scrying or anything of that sort. You might find yourself scrying a little bit more than usual. So be aware that your intuitive abilities are going to be crucial here in building this house. And then the final card gives us our answer, and that is the two of wands. You will build 
a long-term relationship. Your, your relationship to this house will be one of longevity. Here is an individual who has made some plans. They are now standing on a balcony with a staff in hand, another behind them, and they wait for the ships to come. And this is a person who has made an investment, and they now are awaiting the arrival of those investments. This house is an investment, both spiritual and financial, and it will pay off for you in the long term. So overall, very positive cards that indicate that what you seek from this house will be yours. I'm going to turn this over to Doc Murphy, who's going to do your next reading, and then Miss Kat will do your root work recommendation. Well, hi, Miranda. Long time no talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, and what also, a, what a, a great turn of events today! <laughs> I know it's just wonderful, wonderful synchronicity here. Um, also, to let folks know that uh, because Miranda and I live across the river from each other and are friends, I've kind of been a little bit closer, a little bit more privy to her um, house purchasing adventure, I think, than a, um, a lot of people here. So I've got a little bit of other insight. That said, this, the reading that I have is is definitely about practical matters. It's Pentacles, 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 and something else. That's going to be interesting. Um, so the card that I have is past, present, obstacle to the present and the future. The card that's in the past was the, the two of pentacles. This is the juggler who's kind of dancing on his feet. Um, and he's right side up. And he's kind of keeping it together. And then, you know, like I said, in the past, there was definitely the sense of like work was working out and relationships were working out and everything was just kind of coming together and it was the right time. And you've, you've managed this really, really beautiful house and it all just kind of came together. The, the card that's sitting in your present um, is the Ten of Pentacles reversed, and your house is upside down a little bit right now. Um, some of the adventures you've told me about, some of the repairs that have had to been made, and some of the expense that that, uh, that you've had to have, this definitely speaks to that. That this this sense of um, you know of the home being uh, perfect and move-in ready kind of hasn't quite been that way yet. It's been a bit of an investment that's kind of flipped things upside down a little bit for you. Uh-huh. The card that I have sitting uh-huh. that is the complication to the present or the obstacle to the present is actually the Eight of Pentacles reverse. And again, usually the Eight of Pentacles when it's right side up is about kind of good, good diligent work and getting right to it. And when it's flipped upside down, I kind of read this as getting a little bit too tied up in the details. Um, rather than kind of stepping back and seeing what the house can provide for you or what the house as a whole um, is, 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 as an investment, but also as a living space is going to provide for you. Um, you're, you're, there's a little bit of being kind of preoccupied with, with um, rearranging the silverware in the drawer um, that might be getting in the way of, you know, what the larger picture is for you here. Um, the card, interestingly, that I have sitting in the future is the Page of Cups. Gee, go figure. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting when kind of our, our readings kind of uh, crisscross that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what's, what's kind of standing out for me in particular is that as I look at the past card and I look at the future card, you know, the, 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 um, the Two of Pentacles dancing and the Page of Cups taking advice from, you know, the fish is wealth. There, there might actually be a, um, a, a financial source, maybe a financial advisor, maybe somebody who is wise in the ways of money. But behind both of these characters in, in the reading is kind of the rolling water. Um, you actually see kind of the waving water rolling behind the juggler of the Two of Pentacles, and you see the same sort of flowing rolling water behind the Page of Cups. And that's kind of, kind of the message I'm getting there is that like um, – uh, we were talking about fixed water earlier, but I think it's going to be more about this is going to be something that as situations with owning a home ebb and flow. I mean, owning a home and taking care of a home is a process. You know, a home is, is, a, is a living 
uh, spirit and a living being, and it's a process. It's not just this object that you live in that you have to kind of uh, poke at once in a while to take care of. It's an organism. And as things ebb and flow, you'll be able to, you know, not only kind of keep your balance as you have in the past, but in the future, um, you'll actually be able to kind of, you know, communicate more with it and manage it a little bit. I think kind of the warning right now with regard to the present and, and getting stuck in the present is that you get so wound up in, um, you know, the repairs and, and the things that you fix and the details that you don't take the time to actually, you know, enjoy your home and thank your home and, and be grateful for it. So that's sort of how I'm reading this particular reading in this instance for you. Hope that helps. Okay. Well, I'm going to handle some root work advice. So one of the things you asked about was the spirit of the place or the house. And the other thing, and this was mentioned by someone in the chat also, the spirit of those who lived there. So when you own a piece of property, in most places you can get um, the deed will have the names of all the previous owners. Do you have such a thing? I have a digital deed that talks about the legalities of me having the place, but I haven't seen um, the listing fully of all the people. Okay. On it. Maybe I need, you I can, need to do some digging. You, yeah, you can find that usually at your county records place. Um, mm-hmm. I know I have one it, for my property. It's, it's really almost in the form of a little narrow booklet stapled together. It came from the county. I was given it. My things were stapled onto it. Um, I'd like you to do a little research on those uh, people, not just flying blind like, hey, spirits, who are you? Because trickster spirits could come in and say, I used to live in this house, and I want you to paint this room purple. But they're not the spirits <laughs> that lived in the house, right? So yeah, I want you to do a, do, a little bit of, uh, do a little bit of research on who owned the house. Look them up online. Look them up in the census. See what their occupations were. You'll find out about them. They're almost like kind of adopted relatives in a way. I know, for instance, that in my house, the the man who built my house was very. He was from um, uh, Missouri, Arkansas area. I think he was from Arkansas. His wife was from Missouri, or vice versa. He was very interested in catfish. Not a a well-known and well-received food fish in California. He wanted catfish here, and he dug a pond, and he was going to put catfish in. And they didn't make it. It just wasn't the right kind of soil to make a pond up here. His son went down, and him, he went down with his son. They went down farther south. They found some adobe soil. They built a catfish pond. And that is now a, a well-known road in the Bay Area called Fish Ranch Road. So Every time I get on the freeway and go down there and turn off to Fish Ranch Road, I know those were my people. My people from my house built Fish Ranch Road because they built the Fish Ranch wow. down there. So wow. you'll find, yeah, you'll find all kinds, and that's an hour and a half away. So you'll find all kinds of things about these people. Did they, um, I know that um, their son was gay, apparently. Well, you know, who knows? Their son was said to be odd and never married and raised deer oh. with a milk bottle and he played second base <laughs> on the local baseball team and he collected guns. I mean, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, okay. So now what he's part of my family. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're going to oh. find these things. No, I'd like you to make a sort of an ancestor altar for those people. And you'll be able to find things. Go to the local historical society. A 120-year-old house has some history on it and it may you may be able to find even old photographs of it. And so 
that's what I'd like you to do is invite them in. Don't try to get rid of them until you find out who you got. In other words, they're just kicking people out of their ancestral um, home is not the nicest thing to do. Now, maybe one of them was a murderer. Maybe one of them committed suicide and constantly is walking around weeping in the upstairs attic. You know, you don't want that one around. There are ways to move spirits out. But I would start by inviting the spirits in. Then number two, and this is the question of money for the repairs. Once you know who some of these beings are, you might ask them, can you help bring me some money? Hey, you know, you know, Mr. Hackensack, can you can you uh, you know arrange for me to get some money? Because you know that that gazebo that you built is starting to fall apart, and we want to get that thing back together again. So enlist the spirits to aid you. Then use your regular money type things. Um, baths would be uh, a tea baths for washes would be very appropriate. And the herbs, the living plant that uh, Conjurman mentioned, um, one of the best living plants for money is thyme. Just remember, time's on your side. And but any but but anyone who has an Asian friend knows about lucky bamboo, and somehow that's often easier to grow. And so you can put in a lucky bamboo, money drawing bamboo. When you bring it home, you're going to pop it out of the pot and put some coins in the bottom of the pot, and then re repot it or pot it up to the next size pot. Um, and those coins should be. Uh, if possible, you want a coin from the year that the house was built. Okay? So, and of course, you're going to bless and dress those coins and then ask for more money to come in. Does anybody else have any ideas? How about you, Doc? Do you have any ideas you can add to this? Um, I think the root work is excellent. I don't have anything to add to that, but I will say, Miranda, my sister is an architectural historian here in the Twin Cities. We'll set you up with with some with some research tools for sure. Ah, how good is that? Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. How good is that? You want those you want those spirits to be on your side. You might find them wandering mm-hmm. around as ghosts. If you do, ask them. You know, um, how yep. can I help you? What can I do for you? Don't be afraid of ghosts, especially locational ghosts. They 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 have a reason to be there, but you have to ask them what that reason is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to add that when you're building the when you're building this relationship, it's an ongoing thing. So this is something that'll be incorporated into your spirituality, or something incorporated into your spiritual work. I mean, you might set aside a particular day in which you do house blessing, in which you work with the spirits of this house. For example, it might be a Sunday. It might be like the day that you work with your ancestors, and the way that, the day that you work with these particular spirits. So this is not just a sort of one-off in which you you like. All right, I recognize you. Hi, hello. All right, that's it. But rather an ongoing relationship building. As long as you remember that, then I sense that this will be a, a long-term place of blessing for you. So just be mindful that you're working long-term here, that you're building relationships here. Take the time to build those relationships, and they will pay off in the long term. Okay, now in the chat, Papa G um, mentioned Rose of Jericho, and um, I just have to say that is the one plant I cannot and will not work with for reasons I've explained many times and I don't want to get into it, but I cannot work with that plant um, almost as if God forbade me. Um, but I mention it. I'll mention it. If those who like to work with um, Rose of Jericho, that's a great idea. Thank you, Papa G. All right. I hear our bumper music is on. 
There it is. So I hope we were able to help you, Miranda. And um, we're going to move on. And uh, Miranda stays live, it says here. And we're moving to our network schedule <laughs> announcement. Okay. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Doc Murphy, of rootdocmurphy.com in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and Pagamistan. Take it away, Doc Murphy. Thank you, Clifford. All right, the free spell, actually kind of that's three for the price of one, really. There's actually three different ways that you can hot foot a long-staying winter guest in the cold weather. Now, so this might be somebody that you thought, oh, yeah, you can stay with me for the winter, and now it's just not working out, or that you have a really irritating roommate and they just got to go. So this actually takes advantage of the snow and the cold weather and the fact that we have to kind of schlep around in snow boots that we have to change out of in the snow. So uh, one way to actually hot foot this annoying guest or this annoying uh, um, roommate that just absolutely has to go is uh, we have a tradition up here which we call the Midwestern Stomp or the Minnesota Stomp, where if they've been schlepping through the snow, before you come into the house, you have to stomp, 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 stomp your beat and kind of kick it against the, the, um, the porch step in order to knock all of the snow and everything else um, uh, onto your welcome mat. And then you walk into the house, and then you take off your boots, and then you walk into your stocking feet and go sit by the fire or sit by the TV set. Well, what a great bunch of opportunities to hot-foot this person. Uh, when your guest, you know, kind of stomps the snow and the slush off of their boots onto your welcome mat or onto your rug, um, and then slips off their boots to come inside, you know, what a great opportunity. Grab a paper uh, or a paper towel if it's in a pinch. If you, if it's a, paper towel's going to be a little bit kind of wimpy, but if you're in a pinch, you can grab a paper towel or grab a paper, preferably a, a shopping bag paper, and go ahead and press and sop up the stomp water from the mat and, you know, and pick up their snow boots and wipe the slush and press their snow boots into the paper as well. That's the way that you can get their snowy foot track. Let that paper dry. And then as that paper dries, you can use it as a concern for a hot sauce in a bottle spell, pretty much any sort of uh, container spell that you would be able to shake uh, where you would need actually their personal concern, particularly their foot. So you can actually kind of pull it out of the stomp water. Um, another way that you can do it, while their boots are sitting there in, on the porch or on the inside of the uh, door, well, for heaven's sakes, just a pinch. Put a little, that's your chance to put a little bit of hot foot powder in their boots. You know, you don't want to put a whole ton in there because they'll be like, what's this powder all over my boots? But just a little bit on either side. So when they put their feet back in their boots to go back outside, whoop, hot foot powder. And a third <laughs> one, I kind of made some reference to it here too, is that like that's when you go, you know what, I don't like how the ice is looking on the path out there. I'm going to sprinkle some more salt. Well, you're not sprinkling it with rock salt. You're sprinkling with hot foot bath salts. So it won't look any different than the rock salt that you throw down. So they'll walk right through it without a thought. So here you have 
foot track that you have gotten from the stomp water and from the bottoms of their boots. You have hot foot powder in their actual boots that have been waiting by the doorstep, and you'll have them actually walking through hot foot bath salts on the ice. And, boy, if that doesn't drive them away, I don't know what else will. But that's, that's my sort of uh, triple banger spell for the week to how to hot foot your wow. long-staying guest. So this is this fascinates me because of course shoes are very valuable um artifacts in hoodoo as personal concerns. And it's you know, people always are fussing, how do I get someone's shoes? You know, my boyfriend comes over and then, you know, he's in bed, mm-hmm. then he puts his shoes back on and leaves and you know, what how am I gonna get him to get his shoes off? Do I have to pretend I'm like Japanese and say, Take your shoes off at the door, we're so zen you know, that's not gonna fly in my family. So um, this is an advantage that the North has, snow boots. Mm-hmm. What a great mm-hmm. advantage, something never even occurred to me. Uh, just yeah. the, the, the thought is pretty amazing. You could also, of course, just to say, you could also um, use the same kind of thing, not to hot foot somebody, but to um, encourage love, or you could use it to encourage them to bring you money or whatever it is you wanted I love this idea of mm-hmm. the, the sprinkling powders in the snow boots. <laughs> mm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you can't wear them in the house. They're meant to just be walking around for walking around outside in the snow and the ice. So you come in, you knock off all that snow, you get out of your snow boots, and you know some houses you either slip into another pair of shoes or you or you walk around in your stocking feet in the wintertime. But you know that's basically yeah. to keep water from getting tracked into the house. And you know, yeah, it is an advantage that we have. Sometimes you'll see rows and rows and rows and rows of boots outside or just on, inside your door or on your porch. And <laughs> let's make everybody happy and <laughs> put blessing powder. <laughs> that's in pretty wild. <laughs> that's, that is pretty wild. Well, you got it and, covered there. You really do. <laughs> and the use of salt in, as as a type of hot foot or some type of salt is actually quite old. Salt does what you tell it to do, so praying over it uh, to get rid of uh, somebody is not uh, unusual. In fact, most of the formulas for hot foot that I've seen include a little bit of salt. Salt also in, shows up in things like goofer duffs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, salt's just one of those uh, powerful, powerful bits of, of magic and material that we use in hoodoo, both as a protective measure, as a purifying measure but also as a hot foot measure. So people put it in mm-hmm. hot foot powder. And it's also really good in a pinch. You don't even have to use the sort of a bath salts. Just regular salt that you've prayed over to drive someone away can do it. In fact, quite famously, uh, I should say, the, the late um, Dr. E did this. We were out at out dinner, uh, Miss Cat, myself, I, and a bunch of us, after the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, back when the Hoodoo Heritage Festival was in person, and we went to a restaurant, I think it was Chevy's. I've told this story before, and it was a very rambunctious um, couple, I will just say, a couple tables over. And Dr. E just grabbed some salt, poured it into his hand, prayed over it, and sprinkled it around them, and boy, were they gone in five minutes. Um, so the salt, salt was used. It, salt's been used to hot foot for for ages, and it's also the kind of if you don't have hot foot powder around, reach for the salt, pray over it, and then sprinkle it around. That's good. That's really good. I also want to thank you, um, Doc Murphy, for introducing the word stomp water to me. I've never heard that before. 
Um, but that got me thinking about something else, not about hot-footing somebody, but say it was somebody you liked and they had you had their stomp water. You could put down a piece of paper toweling, like you said, and then step in it yourself. Ooh. And now you have your footprint on one side and their footprint on the other side of the paper. And if you let that paper dry, you could use that as a petition paper or for some purpose or reason. You know, I leave it to your imagination. But I like the idea of matching your footprint and theirs. This is something that a lot of people will do when they are in a love situation where they will try to walk in the other person's footprints. And this Mm -hmm. goes also to the idea of walking in their footprints in the snow. But I like the idea of that stomp water. (laughs) <laughs> Great word. Never heard of it before. All right. Well, you you uh, two northern ladies have enlightened us, and um, thank you so Indeed. much. Um, so uh, Miss Miranda says, stomp water is so real. I have water collecting mats at my front door, my back door, my garage, and my sauna. Oh, Miss Miranda Terrell, if you have a sauna and people sweat in the sauna, God knows whether they wear underwear or they're stone cold naked, uh, that sweat can be collected. Oh, working with people sweat, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you have the old-fashioned sauna where you, you know, you put the eucalyptus leaves on it or whatever it's going to be, um, you know, birch or whatever, to get that, you can mm-hmm. throw some interesting herbs in that sauna. Oh, you got a sauna, you got a whole lot of ways. They're going to breathe it in. They're going to have it all over their sweat. Mm-hmm. It's true, though, and they make special solutions just to put on the rocks. But yes, I have a rock sauna, and it's, yeah, it's a thing. Good for you. Good for you. And she says in chat, I keep separate towels. You betcha. And you got now you got their sweat on their towel. Holy moly, you're good. All right, we better turn this over to Cliff because he has some announcements to make. And then after that, if we have any time, I'll say goodbye, and then we'll all say goodbye. Take it away, Clifford. Thank you, Ms. Cat and Conjurman, and thank you, Doc Murphy from Doc Murphy. Root Doc Murphy. Uh-oh. We lost Clifford. Clifford has gone away. Well, probably everyone knows all of this by heart anyway. What do you think? Hello. Uh, We'll be back. There he is. Yeah, now we hear you. Sorry about that. That was mysterious. Okay, and thank you, Ms. Cat and and Conjurman. Thank you, Doc Murphy of RuthDocMurphy.com and the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and Afghanistan for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when our special guest will be Stuart Palm of StuartPalm.com in Hong Kong, bringing us the topic of Oracle Dex Part 2. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. And you'll find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and Conjurman at conjurmanconsulting.com, Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, joining you from clifflow.com. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archive via luckymojo.com slash radioshow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at the same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> and goodbye. <laughs> thank you, Clifford. Bye-bye, all. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye and good night, everybody. See you next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.